0: I just want to thank our choir for that wonderful arrangement of Jesus paid it all. Can all God's people say amen today? Amen. Thank you. Uh, as I was sharing with them before worship, that's my favorite. And so I really appreciate hearing that this morning. It's wonderful. And I'm also very thankful to hear the good, the good news of the It's Time campaign. Richard, thank you for bringing that good word to us. And I know that you all are excited about the progress that you have made, and we know that God gets all the glory, honor, and praise for that. Uh, So it's really exciting to be part of this whole process as we see God uh, working through His people to provide such wonderful facilities. And I know there's more to come. As I understand, there's a vision for the future. Uh, So we're not done. We're continuing to move forward, and we give God the praise today. If you are um, following along in your Bibles for our sermon uh, message, our sermon text today, it's from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. We'll focus on verses 12 through 26 today. So if you'd like to follow along, I invite you to do that as we dive down into the text uh, through the message today. I want to start out by uh, referring back to Easter Sunday. You might remember that I mentioned a pastor named Bill Hybels in the message Bill is the pastor of the Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, Illinois. It's a multi-site church with a global presence. And he refers to the local church as the hope of the world. And if you've ever heard him speak, he, he he will say frequently, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that with all my heart. The hope of the world is not government. The hope of the world is not the economic system. The hope of the world is not the education system. Those are all important. But the hope of the world is the local church because God works through members of the local church to change lives and bring hope to people. Churches can get into areas because of the power of the Holy Spirit in ways that other institutions cannot. I believe that you have the same mindset as you do ministry here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church, that we, we bring God's hope to people. But have you ever paused to consider something else about the local church? That it is the only organization on the face of the earth that exists for non-members. The local church is the only organization on the face of the earth that exists for non-members. Have you heard the Great Commission read just a few moments ago, we exist... So that we can share God's love with our neighbors around us to the ends of the earth. But if you think about the contrast between the church and other organizations, other organizations spend a lot of their time, energy, and resources trying to keep other people out. But the church is the opposite. We exist to reach people who are far from God and to meet their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. We want to bring people in, and we go out to bring people in. When I was in college, I was part of a fraternity. Some of you may have been in a fraternity or sorority, and remember that during rush and pledge time, there came a point where, the, in my case, a fraternity would decide how many people they were going to let in, and one person could cast a black ball. And if it was only just one, then that person would not be invited to be part of the fraternity. And I'm so thankful that the church is not like that. Other organizations may have that process. The church does not exist as an organization to blackball people so that they are not invited in. But the problem with many churches in our culture is that we have uh, intentionally or unintentionally locked the doors. We have made people feel unwelcome. We perhaps have a misguided perception of what church and church membership are all about. And this message and this series of sermons is not a a message or a series of sermons to make us feel bad or guilty about the things that we may have done wrong in the past. It's not about that at all. It's helped us to see some things that exist in the church culture today, and I mean the greater church culture outside of of just the the four walls of of this church, Uh, but to see how we can learn from our past and be welcoming and engaging to people in the future. Uh, For example, uh, a lot of people today think that church is just another obligation in an already squeezed out calendar. People are just busy, especially in today's athletic climate and the competitions that many of our kids are engaged in. It can get very crazy and try to we try to juggle all of that. And, you know, there are other people who think church is just old fashioned and boring. Others may say that church is just a bunch of hypocrites. You might have heard that said before. Sometimes people think, well, I don't want to be a part of a church because the the people are judgmental and rigid. Or some people might say, well, they just ask for money or it's like a social club with perks and privileges. And those are some very real perceptions that exist in our culture today and are things that people say and use as a reason why not to be part of a local church. And we hope to change that. We hope to change that. During the next six weeks, we hope to revise and renew our understanding of what church and church membership are all about. To, to do that, we're using a great little book by Dr. Tom Rainer called I Am a Church Member. And the book provides a framework for our series. He's the president of Lifeway, and if you're interested, you might want to get hold of the book. You could read it in just one sitting. There are some things that um, we, we won't cover, but there are some things that we'll pull out and adapt to our setting here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. My prayer is that if you are a believer in Christ already, that your view of church membership will be transformed. And if you're not yet a believer, that this series will help you to be open to the work of God in your life and perhaps to allow God to give you a new vision or a new perception of what church and church membership are all about. I'm using that transformational language picking up from where Paul writes in Romans 12:2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I pray that God will give us transformed and renewed minds as we understand church and church membership. So next Sunday's message will be about unity, about church all being on the same team. We'll talk a little bit about that today as a setup next Sunday, focusing on unity. And in the subsequent weeks, we'll focus on what it means to be an unselfish member of God's church, what, it, uh, what it, the power of praying for your pastors and your leadership, how we can lead our families to be healthy church members, and how to cultivate a spirit of gratitude for all that God has given us and blessed us with in His church. I mean, just look around. Just look around. This is, this is a beautiful campus. And there are beautiful people who make up this church. We are very blessed to be here. And we want to create, a cult, cultivate a habit of gratitude for that. Today, we're going to lay a foundation of what it means to be a functioning church member, a unique part of the body of Christ. Before we get into the text in 1 Corinthians 12, I think it's important to define what we mean by church, because there's a lot of different definitions of what church is. Some people say it's denomination. Others may say it's a nonprofit um, agency that does good. Others may say it's a physical location or a campus, buildings, and such and so forth. Those are all true, but church is more than those. And I would say if you're taking notes that our definition of church is a gathering. It's a gathering, not a, not, not a location or an institution. Church is a gathering of people Who come together proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord, He is Messiah, He is the Son of the living God. Andy Stanley does a great job of unpacking this in the introductory chapters of his book Deep and Wide. And he says that the conversation started with Jesus and his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus said to the twelve, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter responded immediately, saying, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and you are the rock and I will build my people church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is the first time that the word church shows up in the English New Testament. The cornerstone of this entity, as we've said, is the belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is still the unifying factor in the church global today, locally and globally. The Greek word that we translate as church is ekklesia, which means a gathering of called out people. Ecclesia is translated as church 115 times in the King James Version of the Scriptures. But Andy Stanley asks an interesting question. He says, if ecclesia is gathering, then why don't we translate the word as such in our English Bibles? Why does it appear as church instead of gathering? Where did the word church come from? And he writes that it has to do with the institutionalism of the church after christianity became the official religion of the roman empire under constantine the ecclesia ceased to be a movement and became a location and the romans would call these gathering places a basilica you may have heard that term a basilica is a location where people met and in greek in, in gothic and germanic cultures also influenced by christianity they used the word Kerika, if I could say it right. You can, the, the scholars, linguists, see me after because I, can, I need help. Um, that word became Kirche in modern German. Kirche. The word meant house of the Lord and also was referred to a location where people met, both pagan and Christian. This became the primary word used to refer to the ecclesia of Jesus. From it, we get the word church. You can see the derivative very easily. And Stanley says, whereas the majority of your English Bible is a word-for-word translation of the Greek text, not so here. The word church is not a translation from the Greek. It is a substitution for the Greek. A kirche is a location. But an ecclesia, on the other hand, is a powerful gathering of people who come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can lock the doors of a kirche, not so with the ecclesia of Jesus, where two or more are gathered in his name, my friends. There we have a gathering. There is what we understand as church, the ecclesia. Sadly, a lot of churches in our North American culture today have locked the doors to their communities. Maybe it was not intentional at all. In most cases, it's not. But after a while, people start looking around and saying, where are all the people? This place used to be full. Where is everybody? Where did we go wrong? Why don't we see as many young people now as we used to? We've asked these questions at my former church. Churches continually are asking these questions. And it's sort of like a married couple and the empty nest. And the kids are off from college or they're grown and out of the house. And then the married couple, they don't look like know each other anymore. And they're like, who are you? And where did we go wrong? Where did we let things slip? Where did we just become two ships passing in the night? And they have to rekindle that flame and that excitement and that zeal in their relationship and look at their purpose. And sometimes churches have to do that too. And you all have done a wonderful job over the last couple of years doing that hard work. And now we get to to move forward as one body seeking to reach this exciting community here. I don't know that there's a more exciting time to be the church than it is today. People, I believe, are, are looking for that thing spiritual. People are hungry for something rock solid. And we have the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can share that with them through our lives and through our words. In the introduction of his book, Dr. Rayner says nine out of ten churches in America are declining or are growing at a pace that is slower than their communities. He says they're losing ground in their own backyards. Another way he says to look at it is generationally. About two-thirds of the builder generation, which were those born before 1946, are already are Christians. Two-thirds of that population. But about 15% of the millennial generation claim to be Christian. And the millennials are people born from 1980 to 2000. And Rainer says that we have about all but lost that generation. And we can blame it on a lot of things, can't we? If we look around, uh, we can blame it on the secular culture. Uh, We can blame it on uh, the condition of our politics or political system. We can blame it on churches. We can say that the members are hypocritical or the pastors are uncaring and boring. Uh, Lots of Christians find good ways to point the finger. But Dr. Rayner, in his book, calls us to pause and say, no, none of that. He says we need to look in the mirror. And he suggests that many congregations in North America are weak because we've lost the biblical understanding of what church membership is all about in the first place. Why are we here? Why has God called us to be part of the body of Christ? And how can we, re- we reclaim and be excited about that biblical call to church membership? He says oftentimes people join churches and they expect to receive something, to be fed. Uh, And that's true. We need to receive and be fed, but we also are called to serve and give. And that's what helps people outside of the church see that God is at work and will want to be a part of what God is doing here. Do you know that when somebody comes to your home when you're sick, when somebody from the church comes and brings a meal and your neighbors see them pull up? Uh, that's a witness when you're down and you're not able to do things in your yard and somebody from church from the what's the team that the deacon team called that fixes things Tool, the toolbox ministry. When somebody from toolbox comes to your house and is mowing your grass or fixing your stoop or doing something and your neighbor sees it and they wonder, who was that that showed up and did that work? And you can say, oh, that's my church. We've got a toolbox team. What's that all about? Why do you do it? And you can begin to explain the different ministries of your church and how we care for one another. And they might want to be like, I want to be a part of that. It's a witness. That's what church membership is all about calling people out based on their spiritual giftedness to serve one another and to serve in the community. It's exciting to be part of this. So what are some things about church membership we can take home with us today as we begin this series? What does the Bible really say about church membership? I would say first that you matter to God. You matter to God. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And through belief in him, through faith, becoming a Christian and being baptized into his church, you are part of the body of Christ. God desires for every one of you to have a role to play. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. This is Paul giving some instruction to the Corinthians about how to function as a church because they had lost their way a little bit. Verse 12. Just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. You have intrinsic value. God loves you. God knew your name before you were even born. Genesis tells us that you're created in the image of a loving God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's planned in advance for us to do. You matter to God. God desires for you to be part of the body of Christ. Just as the choir today would not be the same if just one of them were missing, If one of you is not here, it is not the same. God cares about you, desires for you to be part of this mission called the church. Another element of biblical church membership is that you and I are on the same team. We're on the same team. Look at verse 14 through 20. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. We're on the same team. Have you ever, and you don't, please don't raise your hand. Have you ever disagreed with another Christian? Maybe a member of the church, maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody. If you ever disagree with another Christian, or at least for me, the first thing that I say is look across the table and I say, you are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. We serve the same God. We are on the same team. You are not my enemy. I love you. We may differ, but I love you because Jesus loved us. I challenge you to remember that if you ever have a disagreement with another believer. We're on the same team. And we also have to share responsibility being on the same team. Malcolm Gladwell writes in his book The Tipping Point of a concept called transactive memory. It exists in organizations and also in relationships. Here we're not talking about what's stored in our heads, but we're talking about where we obtain information. Example, Most of us don't memorize all the phone numbers we need, but we know that we can access it in the phone book or whitepages.com or in our contact list on our phone. We don't memorize all the information, but we know where we can access it. It's called transactive memory. He's building on a work done by Daniel Wegner, who is a UVA professor who died two years ago of ALS. And Wegner says, when people know each other well, they create an implicit joint memory system, a transactive memory system, which is based on an understanding about who is best suited to remember what kinds of things. And then he talks about a spouse who's lost their loved one or a spouse who's gone through a divorce. And after that loss has occurred, then there's this, oh, he always paid the bills. I don't know where to start. She always took care of the children's homework and all their activities, and I have no clue where to begin. She took care of getting the car serviced. All of a sudden, there's this repository of information that is no longer there. Transactions. Transaction, ch- transactive memory. It exists in churches. Sometimes there's one person who really owns a ministry and they haven't trained someone else to come alongside, and then perhaps that person gets sick or moves, or the Lord may call that person home, and then we're left with this vacuum. And where do we begin? At my former church, it was Bernard. Bernard was a trustee, he was the stewardship ch- chairperson. At one point, he was the personnel chairperson. Uh, he was the leader of all three of the building campaigns that the church went through during the relocation. And then in 2008, he passed away. And to this day, even right before I left to come to Huguenot Road, people were still asking, where do we find that information if we could just call Bernard? So our challenge is being on the same team to share information with others, to mentor others, to disciple them along the way so that we're training, equipping the next generation of church leaders to come along and there's there's no longer a vacuum but that we are doing what church members are supposed to do. And the last two are very brief. Third, church membership is rooted or founded in love. It's founded in love. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. All that we say and do as members of God's church is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. And finally, functioning church members do their part they do their part. Verse 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In the David and Goliath story, David did his part. You remember the story. Goliath was an infantryman. And in ancient armies, there were cavalry, infantry, and slingers. And David and Goliath engaged in the valley. And whoever won the the battle between the two of them, their army, that respective army won. And the the giant Goliath taunted David. And David came and told him two times that he came with a sling. Because he was a slinger and he slung the rock and with one sling, the giant fell. David was a slinger and slingers beat infantry hands down. He played his unique part. Like David, you and I are called to do our part. We can do far more together than we can ever do alone. And in just a few moments, as the service concludes, you'll hear Rachel share some words about the spiritual gift emphasis that's coming up next Sunday for the next three weeks in our church. And I'm so excited about that, that we can revisit that or visit it for the very first time and have a fresh perspective and a fresh understanding of how God may have wired us up to serve in His church. I pray that you'll do your part. I pray that you will go through this process over the next several weeks And that you'll find that special place to plug into ministry. Because Paul writes in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. But we who are many, but in Christ, we are all one body. Each one is a part of that body. I'd like you to take your bulletin and follow along in the first pledge of church membership. We'll do this each Sunday during the series. It'll be on the screen as well. And we'll read together in unison. I am a church member. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Because I am a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member, whether I am an eye, an ear, or a hand. As a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study. I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to worship. Thank you for your word that reminds us that we are part of the body of Christ as we believe in Jesus. And I pray God that, we will reflect on how you have uniquely shaped it and gifted us to be part of your body. Maybe there's one who's been visiting for a while and has not made that profession of faith today, God. I pray that you would prompt them to come and respond to the gospel and say yes to following Jesus and to yes to church membership and baptism and that they will function as part of the body according to your giftedness. Or others, God, who have been visiting for a while and perhaps have not yet formally joined, God, that by their statement of faith in baptism or transfer of their membership from another Baptist church, God, that you would lead them to come today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you sent your son not to be served, but to serve. Help us have that same vision. Through Christ we pray. Amen.